I never expect a perfect work from an imperfect man. Alexander Hamilton Welcome to the Revisionist History Podcast, where we set the historical record straight, no matter who it might offend. I'm Paul, and today we're finally wading into some of the myths about America's new favorite founding father, Alexander Hamilton. It was originally my intention to do a two-part episode on Alexander Hamilton, one about the longtime myths, and one about the one specifically from the Lin-Manuel Miranda smash musical Hamilton. That could still happen if I can find enough pre-Broadway myths about the man. It seems like before his life was set to song, no one really cared enough about him to revise his history much. Thus, we'll start with the musical in this episode. Now let me say before we start that I really enjoyed the musical personally, mangled history aside, and I'm thankful for anything that can get people interested in history. In a perfect world, everyone who saw the play would immediately read Ron Chernow's massive biography of Hamilton, the book that inspired Miranda to write the musical in the first place. Sadly, we don't live in a perfect world, and that's not likely to happen. Thus, I need to point some things out. Also, let me say at the outset, I will not be tagging the use of actors of color as revisionism. We all know the founding fathers were white, but it's a creative adaptation. And there's no reason that someone of Puerto Rican descent can't play Alexander Hamilton or that an African-American can't play Washington or Jefferson. It's a play for crying out loud. And Christopher Jackson's portrayal of Washington makes the father of our nation cooler than you ever thought he could be. All that said, from a straight historical perspective, the musical does have some problems. Let's look at a few. First, while I understand that there's no drama without romantic drama, the implied love triangle between Hamilton, his wife Eliza, and her sister Angelica has no basis in fact. Though the musical portrays her as single at the time they meet, Angelica in reality was already married to British politician John Barker Church and had borne two of her eventual eight children. Hamilton and Angelica did indeed exchange flirtatious letters. Angelica once wrote to Eliza that, quote, if you were as generous as the old Romans, you would lend him to me for a little while, end quote. Still, there's no evidence whatsoever that the flirtation ever went beyond the letters, no matter how big a part it plays in the musical. Number two, in the musical, when Hamilton is confronted about his payments to James Reynolds, with his accusers believing that this led to embezzlement of government funds, but which Hamilton quickly proves is not the case. His three accusers are Aaron Burr, Thomas Jefferson, and James Madison. In historical fact, the three men who confronted him were future President James Monroe, Virginia Senator Abraham Venable, and Speaker of the House Frederick Muhlenberg. The second group is filled with famous people, to be sure, but not as famous as the three Miranda chose. 
Now, ultimately, this may simply be a case of trying to keep the musical's cast down to a manageable number while using characters who would not need a new introduction. Even so, it's important to know that Jefferson and Madison were not there and that it was Monroe who was rightly uncomfortable at how quickly and shamelessly Hamilton admitted to his infidelity with Reynolds' wife, the cause of the payments. Number three, the play gives the impression that following the Reynolds affair and the death of his son Philip in a duel, Hamilton basically retired from public life, moved uptown in the words of the song. In Miranda's timeline, Hamilton's career ends following the 1797 publication of the Reynolds pamphlet in which Hamilton told the world of his infidelity in order to clear his name. Not sure what old Alex was thinking there and that he was only dragged back into public life during the contested election of 1800. Good drama to be sure, but just not true. The musical omits any mention of the 1798 to 1800 so-called quasi-war with France, in which Hamilton served as a major general. Philip Hamilton did not die in the duel until 1801, so Alexander clearly wasn't grieving him before the 1800 election. And though Hamilton did indeed move uptown in 1803, he still commuted downtown four or five days a week. He never retired from public life because for those early founding fathers, public life was a normal part of their everyday life. They couldn't just leave it even if they wanted to. Our final myth from the musical is that the cause of the duel between Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr that led to Hamilton's death was the result of Burr blaming Hamilton for his loss in the deadlocked 1800 presidential election. Hamilton did side with Jefferson and argued for his election before the members of the House of Representatives who would vote to break the deadlock. However, Hamilton only swayed two votes and Jefferson won by six. So Hamilton did not cost Burr the election and Burr knew this. The real reason for the duel was understandably one that Lin-Manuel Miranda would not put in a musical where Hamilton is the hero. Here's why. While Hamilton and Burr had been very close friends early on in their lives, their friendship was broken when Burr defeated Hamilton's father-in-law in the race for U.S. Senate in New York in 1790. From that point forward, it was Hamilton who relentlessly disparaged Burr, both in writing and in public. For more than 10 years, Hamilton denounced his former friend as corrupt, unprincipled, and recklessly ambitious, once even calling him, quote, bankrupt beyond redemption, end quote. By 1804, things had gone beyond out of hand. On multiple occasions, Burr objected to things Hamilton said about him, and each time, Hamilton apologized. But in June 1804, one month before the duel, Hamilton made comments that in essence called Burr a pervert. Burr was incensed, understandably, and demanded either a retraction or a duel. Hamilton chose the duel, most likely believing that it would be settled bloodlessly, like many duels were at the time. He was wrong, and he paid the ultimate price. So those are a few key myths from the Hamilton musical, Set Straight.
See it anyway, because it's excellent. And keep viewing history with a critical eye. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you found it both informative and entertaining. If you'd like to help us keep episodes like this coming, please consider clicking on the support this podcast link in the show notes. Thanks a lot.